1: Radio Real Estate Show. Our expert from Remax Prime Properties is Asif Khan. Good morning, Asif.
2: Good morning, Tina.
1: And we're talking mortgages once again this morning.
2: We are, and we have mortgage professional Patrick Roman. Patrick, welcome back to On the Market.
3: Thanks so much, guys. Happy to be here.
2: Patrick, so much happening with the recent interest rate hold and people coming off of the fence in droves. How are you guys seeing the applications and, the, and what's the mood out there amongst borrowers and, and what are they looking at to move forward?
3: You know, it's an interesting time right now. So I would say borrowers are uh, cautiously optimistic as to what's uh, happening a little bit down the road and uh, I think the sentiment is more so along the lines of not uh, missing the window opportunity, which uh, I think we all know is coming to a close over the next little while
1: window of opportunity meaning rates will be on the rise the next time the Bank of Canada comes out with an announcement
3: no I think the expectation is that the rates are actually on, on, on the on, they're going to be dropping over the next uh, over the course of 2024 and so as they do property values will increase there is an inverse relationship between the two okay but um, so I think people are as Asif mentioned, starting to come off the fence a little bit and and starting to proactively look at properties.
2: And, And Patrick, if we compare this to last year at this time, it was quite a different sentiment. There was a lot of anxiety. A lot of people worried about what would happen to their mortgages as they were coming up for renewals. Are you seeing people more at ease now thinking about renewal? Is there still some apprehension that
3: more you know what I I think I think there's a combination of things so one is um, it's become the new normal first of all right when when the big rate change happened uh, over the last two years it it took a while for people to adjust to the new reality so I I think at this point this is the new normal people are used to working with at the same time they're optimistic about any future rate drops which may be considerable depending on, on which expert you listen to But um, because this is a new normal, it's now in a positive light as rate drops come into play, hopefully over, over the course of 2024. So I do think there's a bit of positive enthusiasm out there. Also, I think that people look at what happened in the spring of last year, when there was a rate, a brief rate drop, how property values increased quite quickly, right? So I think it was a bit of a a shot of a warning signal, you know, if, if you are looking at purchasing a property, you need to start getting your ducks in a row.
1: Okay. So what do you do to get those ducks in a row?
3: Well, the first thing is, um, start looking for a property, get qualified for a mortgage and figure out how much you can qualify for. And, uh, if there's any issues that are pending, which could be credit or income wise, start addressing them. And, Patrick, when, when people are getting
2: pre-qualified, there's, you know, there's, there's some sort of uh, you know, ex- expectation that that is the final step, but there's a lot that goes into a final approval after pre-qualification. Tell the listeners a little bit about what the banks will look for in between the pre-approval and the final approval for them to go ahead with the property.
3: Absolutely. You know, there's, a, there's a lot of things that happen in between the two. So when you have a pre-approval, think of it as just a theory of the application. So documents don't usually get reviewed. It's more based on what you say in the application. After that point, everything you say gets validated. And so there's a lot more that happens. The majority of the work happens post-pre-approval, not before. And, and here's a simple example. You're chatting with someone and you ask them how much they earn per year for their wages. And so they say a number. But from a qualifying perspective, that number is subject to a lot of interpretation. A simple example is overtime taking into consideration or any bonuses, uh, any supplementary income. Is that going to be used in the application or not? On the pre-qualification stages, like I said, it's more of a simpler approach when it comes down to post pre-approval to an actual approval, there's a lot more detail that goes into the applications.
1: What advice do you have then for your clients, especially those that hold a variable mortgage rate right now?
3: Well, if, uh, if they have a variable, I would wait and stay with the variable if they're coming up for renewal. It's interesting because now the, the conversations have slowly started coming into play about penalties in the sense that people that have renewed over the course of the last 24 months, they're starting to look at what options they're going to have over the next 24 months as rates drop to lower the cost of borrowing. So if you are in a good position, which is a variable rate mortgage at this point, good in a sense of flexibility, um, I would stay with a variable to try to take advantage of rates over the next 12 to 24 months as they start to drop.
2: And Patrick, I I know you and I uh, worked on a a transaction in the past together where the home purchaser went out and purchased a pool table prior to moving into the property and, and getting final possession, and that threw off the ratios enough, the GDS and TDS ratios enough, that it disqualified him from the mortgage. What advice do you have for listeners that are considering making a purchase prior to taking possession of their home?
3: <laughs> Don't do it. That's just simple <laughs> advice. <laughs> Don't buy anything <laughs> on credit whatsoever while you are in the considering purchasing a house phase of your life. In fact, it's a great point. Part of the homework that they should be doing is if they are preparing to enter this stage over the next little while is eliminating debt or restructuring debt to lower the monthly cost of it. The, the big ticket items, particularly vehicles, tends to be the, the biggest stumbling blocks. And, and here's a, a great opportunity, if your vehicle is a, a lease, for example, um, don't take on another lease until after you purchase a home. Don't take on more debt for the next little while until you've purchased your home.
2: And just to further to that point, Patrick. Even if you go to some of these places like the Brick and Leon's and they have don't pay until 2027, that's still going to affect your purchase, as we saw in another instance
3: as well. Absolutely. It doesn't matter when the payment is due. It's a fact that you now have another obligation. Even if you don't pay till 2037, it still doesn't matter. You still have another obligation that will be taken into consideration. And with rates being what they are, every dollar counts. So don't add additional debt to your application.
1: So Asif, this question is for you then. What did you do with that client that went ahead and made that purchase and it did throw off the financial ratio, I guess?
2: We had to do more negotiating, more so with the company that had sold them this product to say, please cancel this purchase because... They will not get their house and will not have a place to put this pool table. So um, <laughs> it was uh, it was more trying to get them out of that deal. It cost them some money to cancel this transaction. But what had happened was because this pool table was financed, it had thrown off their ratios enough that disqualified them after their pre-approval, it disqualified them prior to their final approval. So, uh, you know, they had to do some fancy footwork to get back to that company, cancel that transaction, pay a penalty to get out of it, just so that they could close on their property. And not every company is going to allow you that option because they may say, hey, this is a final sale and you've signed up for it and we're not going to let you out of this deal. And, uh, you know, so that's why... I think the most common thing, Patrick, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it's either furniture for houses or cars when people are moving into their house and they want a, a new car to go with it or a new furniture to furnish the home. But those are the things that could
3: prevent you from actually getting your home. Absolutely. Those are the two big issues. And, and frankly, when you're first buying a home, you really shouldn't take on any expense either way. Give yourself time to settle in and what your new budget is and then look at other really nice to have not too much needed items right right
1: so Patrick do you think you know the Bank of Canada will increase rates in the time in the months to come or do you think it'll be fairly steady we know that this is tied to inflation so it will be difficult to predict but what are your thoughts from your experience speaking
3: Strictly from experience, it, it's it's more of an intuitive reaction to the question, you know. But uh, I suspect rates will stay flat probably for another run, and then uh, I would say in, in summer I expect rates to start dropping a little bit. I, in my opinion, that we'll see it in the in between you know, in June and July we'll start seeing a little bit of a rate drop, which is uh, I think a pretty common prevalent thought at this point.
2: I think you're right there. I think it'll be. You know initially, I think we were predicting q two but I think it's going to be q three or q four before we see that first rate drop and when that rate drop comes that's also going to affect
3: inflation will it not absolutely you know, it, it's it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a self fulfilling prophecy because as cost goes down, that also impacts uh, inflation directly also as rates go up, that drives inflation up as well so it's it's a bit of a uh, interesting situation we're in. An absolutely self-fulf- self-fulfilling prophecy on this.
2: Patrick, thanks so much for joining us for On the Market, and we look forward to having you on again.
3: Thanks so much. Enjoy your day.
1: After the break, assignment sales explained. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us.
0: Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region.
1: Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's radio real estate show. Over to my co-host and our real estate expert, Asif Khan, from REMAX Prime Properties with today's next guest,
2: Asif. Thank you, Tina. Joining us is Heather Cooper, also from REMAX Prime Properties. Heather, welcome back to On Market. Thank you so much. Happy to be back. Heather, there's been a lot of talk about assignment sales in the news recently. Tell our listeners a little bit about what an
4: assignment sale actually is. Okay, so an assignment sale is when a seller sells their interest in a property before they even take possession. In other words, they're selling that contract they have with the builder to a new purchaser. Okay,
1: this sounds really inside baseball to an outsider like me. So does this assignment sale, could it apply to any type of property, Heather?
4: Absolutely, it applies to condos, townhomes, um, detached, any, any property that was purchased directly from the builder or the developer.
2: And there are certain provisions that need to be included in that original agreement for purchase and sale between the buyer and the builder, are they not?
4: That's correct. So in um, most agreements, there will be an assignment clause in there, and it will stipulate what the original purchaser can and cannot do with that agreement. More often than not, the builder will allow somebody to assign the contract. There's typically a fee associated with that, roughly around $10,000. If you're using a realtor and they're good, usually they can negotiate that and get you a free assignment. And then um, just recently I was reading an agreement of purchase and sale between a builder and a purchaser, and they were not allowed to assign at all. So unfortunately for this individual, they were not able to close. The occupancy was coming up. They were worried. Um, they were not able to assign it, so they're going to unfortunately lose their deposit.
1: Wow, that's awful. So so there was no recourse at all in that situation, Heather?
4: The builder would not bend. I, I um, had him go back and ask the builder if they can make an exception for them. And unfortunately, because the way the contract was written from the start, it was written... Uh, Plain as day that unfortunately they would not allow assignments. And this is why,
2: I mean, this is another reason why it's really tough for people just to walk into a condo sales center and, and negotiate a contract by themselves because the contracts are made in favor of the builder. So having someone that's experienced in pre construction sales on their side would definitely help them in that situation, right?
4: That's what I always tell my clients. Um, They think that walking into that sales center, going directly to the builder, that the builder is going to give them a deal. And the thing that I think people don't understand is the builders typically will not negotiate. Price, good luck. They almost never uh, negotiate on price. There's other terms that we can sometimes negotiate on, which would be like the deposit structure, the assignment fees as mentioned, cap development charges, things like that. But you got to be careful what's written into those contracts before you agree to uh, to purchase those, those units.
1: And Heather, are you noticing more assignment sales these days, and, and why do you think that is?
4: There are a ton at the moment, and unfortunately, a lot of them are distressed sales. So I know the term distressed sale is a loose term these days, but like that essentially means that the seller is selling the property or the contract for less than what they purchased it for, People are walking away from their, de- their deposits, and these aren't small deposits. These are huge, 20% deposits. I'm seeing people walk away from $100,000, $200,000, $300,000 on these properties because they simply can't close, and they can't close because of the higher interest rates, and they also can't close because a lot of times the appraisals are coming in low. So they purchased these properties three, four, or five years ago. Well, the market's a little bit different now than it was then. The banks. Um, a lot of times we'll do the appraisals closer to the closing. And there's that appraisal gap. Again, the, the, the purchasers cannot come up with those funds to close the gap. Now they're in default. Hmm.
2: And we're also hearing stories of developers taking units back. You know, the buyer has to forfeit the deposit, but the builder is willing to take this unit back. Is that because the builder will now sell this for a lot more money than what was paid three or four years ago?
4: So that's one scenario, yes. Uh, they, they, they'll take the unit back and try to sell it for more. But there's also another scenario where let's say that someone purchased a pre-construction unit three years ago for $800,000. The market's changed between then, then and now, and the purchaser cannot close. The builder will then take back that unit let's say that he can only sell it for $700,000, the builder can now sue the original purchaser for the difference. So he can now sue for the $100,000 and also keep the the initial deposit as well.
1: Wow, it sounds like there's so many things to consider. Is there any way that a buyer of a pre-construction unit can avoid a situation of defaulting especially if it's always seems to be the builder that is putting off that closing date like what are you supposed to do
4: so number one obviously i'm going to say make sure that you you have a realtor with you people seem to think with pre-construction that you don't need a realtor you can just walk into a sales center pick a unit and be done but that's not the case there is so much fine print and like as said when you walk into those sales centers they work for the developer. Everything is to the benefit of the developer. We need to make sure that our clients, our purchasers, that they're protected. There is a 10-day cooling-off period for any condominium units. So if you go and you want to buy a property pre-construction, you've got 10 days to really decide if that unit is for you. And usually you use that, those 10 days to take the contract to the lawyer. And make sure that your lawyer reviews it as well. They will be able to point out any red flags in there. Let's say the development fees are not capped, right? So that's something they might be able to say, hey, listen, you know what, you need to put a cap on those because we've seen instances where developers have come a week before closing and said, hey, just so you know, the development charges are going to be $100,000. Oh, well, if you don't have the money you can't close, we're going to take back the unit. And then they resell the unit for more.
2: So, Heather, on the flip side these assignment sales represent a huge opportunity for someone else, and that's buyers that are out there. So if there's a first-time buyer and they're having trouble with limited inventory that's out there to purchase and resale, do these assignment sales represent a huge opportunity where they can come in and scoop these up and already have equity in these properties?
4: Absolutely. I've recently helped a couple purchasers purchase assignments, and they they got them for for substantially less than what the original purchaser had paid. So these are way below market value. The, the original purchaser is essentially giving up their deposits. Like I said, there are $100,000, $200,000 deposits. They're giving them up because they're going to lose them anyways, and on top of that, they'll get sued. So they're saying, you know what? I just want to be done with this, and they're pretty much walking away.
1: What a horrific situation. It just sounds horrible for those people in those situations. But Asif, you've called this an opportunity for buyers. Is there a place or are there assignment listings somewhere that perhaps investors could take a look at this uh, opportunity for them?
2: So here's where it gets tricky, Tina, because... A lot of builders will not allow their properties to be showcased on the MLS. So it's not like they can go to realtor.ca and just look at where the assignment sites are uh, or the assignment properties are. There are some sites that are available to realtors where we can, you know, get the word out about potential assignments or assignments that are out there right now and be able to generate some activity that way. But unfortunately, there's not a site that builders allow to be posted uh, because they don't want to take away from any of their sales that they're doing or or their units that they've uh, already sold. So assignments are really tricky. It's best to get a realtor involved and, and get them searching if you're trying to assign your property because it's, uh, it's a fine line between what can be considered advertising your property and then there's also clauses in agreements of purchase and sale with the builders that says if you do market your property and they find out that it could be deemed a default of the agreement of purchase and sale and you could lose your property. My
1: goodness. So Heather, how are you supporting your clients through these very difficult and challenging situations?
4: So it is, it is tough. It's tough on both sides. So obviously my purchasers are happy, you know, they're getting these good deals, but then you've got the people who have to walk away from their deposits. And there's, there's not much that I can do on my end. The gentleman I mentioned before, he didn't use me as a realtor. He had come to me after the fact. And because he didn't have that clause in there, there really isn't much I could do for him.
2: Heather, thanks for that uh, great information. If our listeners want to connect with you and ask you uh, about their uh, situations in specific, how do they do that?
4: They can contact me directly at 416-554-3566.
2: Thanks, Heather, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Okay, thank you. When we come back, your real estate questions. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us.
0: Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him 416 985 Khan. That's 416 985 5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 1059 The Region.
1: Welcome back to On the Market. Your questions for Asif Khan are next. And we begin with Jerry from Markham. He writes I plan to list my home in the early spring there is a tenant currently renting my basement. Will it be easier to sell my house with or without a tenant? Asif, what do you think?
2: So this is a a million-dollar question. And, you know, tenanted properties have been in the news for a while now, uh, ever since the inventory crisis really hit for rentals as well. Now, it's obviously better to sell the property without the tenant. Uh, At the same time, you need to have an agreement that the tenant will leave or vacate the premises on a certain day. However, if the new buyer is purchasing the property as an investment and they're going to be renting it out, then the tenant doesn't have to leave. They have to assume that tenant. So there has to be the uh, an affidavit signed by the new purchaser saying that they are going to be using the property for themselves or their family and they will not be renting it out for them to take vacant possession of that property. So if the tenant has already vacated, then a vacant property is always best because there's so many other variable variables that will come into play when a property is tenanted. So there's proper notice, how much do you have to pay this tenant for them to leave, the landlord-tenant board stipulates an extra month's payment to the tenant Uh, But at the same time, if the lease is not expired, then you can't get them out unless you find them a similar space for a similar price or another space that you can provide to them uh, in your premises or in in another premise that, that you own. Then that would help the situation. But if not, then the tenant may be eligible for cash for keys, which is what's happening right now. So the landlords are paying tenants large amounts just to vacate so that they can sell their property.
1: When you say large amounts, what are we talking about?
2: Well, it's, uh, you know, we had one situation where it was $30,000, and, oh. uh, you know, it was, uh, it made for very hard feelings uh, on the parts of the sellers or the landlords, and it, uh, it it was at the point where it was going to get really ugly, but at the end of the day they just wanted these tenants out. Now this also has to do with the landlord tenant board delays that happened a couple of years ago, whereas we don't have those delays or as bad as those delays right now. So tenants won't be able to get away with that much longer uh, because once the case goes to the landlord tenant board, the tenant will be asked to vacate. And uh, you know, there there's a this is all caused by the delays for the landlord tenant board and A lot of sellers, I I can almost see a a class action suit in the future where sellers will say, Listen, we had to pay this amount of money because of your delays, so uh, they'll go after the landlord tenant board. So, uh, you know, it's all speculation right now, but I can see something like that happening.
1: And you said something about an agreement from the tenant, um, you know, in terms of vacating the premises. At what point? do you get that agreement in writing and confirmed? Is it before listing your home for sale?
2: Well, if you're selling your property, uh, you have to do that after you have a firm and binding agreement for the sale of that property, because until then, you haven't sold the property, so the tenant still has rights to remain in that property. But once you have a firm and binding agreement with a closing date that's coming up, and you have to make sure that, the closing date is long enough that you're providing adequate notice for the tenant to leave. So you can't have a closing date in 45 days when the notice you have to provide to the tenant is 60 days. And it's 60 days from the start of the month. So if you're providing a notice right now, it's January 24th, that can't be a closing of March 24th. It actually has to be April because you have to provide two full months from the first of the month. So Mm -hmm. you would have to provide them February and March, As the two months notice and the closing would be about April 1st or so so these are really important to take note of because some people will sell a property on the second of the month and provide the two months notice thinking that well I'm giving them this month and next month but it actually would go into the third month at that time because the date has already passed from the first of the month of when they are paying their rent
1: this next question comes from a parent of a soon-to-be high school graduate Linda from Vaughan wants to know when should the search begin for university student housing and how do they decide on a neighborhood?
2: Asif, what's your advice? So the search should start very early. So if your child is going to university, usually in the first year they'll stay uh, on campus. So if you're looking for off-campus housing, those are usually all booked up relatively early. So uh, for some some students that are now looking for September housing, you should already be looking right now because by March or April, they will all get scooped up for next year. So if you want to look around the university campus, the university usually has uh, links or websites that you can go to for off-campus housing, which are, uh, you know, Usually, right around the campus, within walking distance to the campus, you know, getting off-campus housing uh, and, and you know, looking for a condo or a house to rent out, there's very limited landlords that would want students living in their homes. So, uh, you know, there's there are some off-campus places that are meant for students, which would be the best bet. But if you have to go into Uh, condos or private-owned condos or homes, it's very rare that people will rent to four or five or six students. So it's really difficult to get.
1: All right. If you have a question for On the Market, hit send anytime to info at 1059theregion.com. But Asif, if our listeners prefer to contact you directly, how can they do that?
2: They can always call me on my cell at 416-985-5426.
1: If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Tina Cortez for Asif Khan. Thank you for listening.
0: Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email awesome at thehomeshop.ca.